talking back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions and games. And this week's episode is going to be an exciting follow-up to our discussion of vacation games with impressions on the games we've played, Power Grid, and what it's like playing that game with a group of environmental engineers, a discussion of Reiner Knizia's Babylonia with a group of non-gamers, The Mind, and more. We'll also just delve into various sundries, things about the show, maybe read a few reviews, a discussion of a game both Jake and I love at the end of the episode. It's going to be really good and maybe a little bit looser than some of the episodes you've heard in the past. You might be thinking, this doesn't sound exactly like every other episode of Decision Space. And it's not, you know, this is a little bit of odds and ends uh, as Brendan and I both return from our own various trips. Brendan for the week, me for a long weekend. Um, but we wanted to give you something in your feed anyway. And I think that if you stick around, that you'll probably enjoy the conversation. For our pre-planners, those of you who like to play games along with us, you should know that next week we'll be covering Agricola. Following that, the next two games in our queue are Blood Rage and Dice Hospital. And all three of those games are available to play on Board Game Arena if you want to go check them out there. I'm really excited for all three of these games for really different reasons. And right before we started recording, Jake and I were talking about, like, are we ready for Agricola? And I feel like we came to the conclusion that one could never really be ready to cover Agricola in depth. It's just such a big game. And I've played it maybe 20 times at this point. So I'm really excited to talk about subsistence farming in some vaguely European setting. And I've played it three and a half times. But in all honesty, like there are so many people out there that have played this game 20 times, 30 times, 100 times, 200 times. And, you know, the the reality is we're never going to get to that level of competence with it. So even though it's this like legendary foundational game, I still think it makes sense just to kind of treat it the same way that we would any game, which is, you know, play it as much as we can till we feel like we have a good grasp of it and then do the best we can to convey the decisions within it. And I, you know, I think that approach might actually reveal some insights. And as always, if people are really experienced with it and want to come and tell us how we're wrong in our Discord, we have a Discord. You can join that by looking at the link that is shared in the description of this podcast. That'd be like probably the best place to go to tell us that we're wrong i like pigs (laughs) uh and the other place you could tell us that we're wrong is uh on email or you could even leave us a review on this podcast i wanted to read one now because i think we got a really uh interesting and insightful one Uh, and it's just always so great to get reviews so brenda if it's already with you i'm gonna go ahead and share a review we just received from quickspace Quickspace gave us five stars and they said, I enjoy this podcast quite a bit. It's rewarding to listen to a show that really gets into how a game plays out and what works and what does not. My only caveat is that it's not as interesting to me to listen to episodes about games that I've not played, but that's a tough problem to address. This is really subjective, but I think Jake and Brendan have good taste both in choosing games and evaluating them. They like the parts that are likable and dislike the rest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like this review. I like it, too. Yeah. This is a good yeah. review. It's a good review. And I, I think, like, just, you know, speaking totally frankly, I think that is a huge challenge that we've thought about a lot um, with regard to our show and our format. So 
Brenda, I want to run a, an idea by you that I haven't actually talked to you about. And, uh, you know, maybe we could talk about whether it might be a good fit for our podcast. So what I was thinking is, you know how a lot of shows do like a retrospective segment? Like, oh, we covered this game a year ago and this is what we think about it now. I think that one possibility could be bringing in something like that uh, starting with like, we could we could either start with like our first episode where we covered like Kanagawa and, and do like a little thing where we talk about it. But I think what would be really cool because of the nature of our show is if we sort of like sourced out feedback that we get from our show from people who have played the game more uh, and, and read like a few quotes. And then that could also be something that people contribute to in our discord, right? We could almost create like a whole like feedback channel or something where people could give us feedback about games. So that's idea number one. Okay. I have a different idea too. And I don't know, maybe you could tell me if you like one better, two better or neither. And okay. we'll keep thinking about it if it's neither, and that'd be totally fine. Okay. okay. So my the second idea would be that instead of doing going all the way back to episode one, so we would just do this in like the episodes that are not the what we talk about ones, but the game design focused or not games, you know whatever I mean, the game feature ones, where we could do instead of one year retrospective, we could do like a segment on the feedback that we received like over the last week. So like. On our next one, if, if Isle of Cats was the last game, we could almost like start off the episode and be like, and here's a little bit of like thoughts from people that have played Isle of Cats like way more than us and how they reacted to the episode. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. A little different. Okay. I am nervous about the idea of adding another segment every week because I feel like we already run kind of long and we like when we get to really dive deep on topics. And I'm saying we, and I think what I mean is me. <laughs> But I really like the idea of number one, where we go back and revisit games that we've covered in the past, but I don't love the idea of dedicating a whole episode to that. But I think it could be really cool if we combined the two ideas and sort of said, okay, it's been X amount of time. We're going to do an episode where we look at Kanagawa, Carpe Diem, Underwater uh, Cities. Like a, right, like, yeah. we do, like, like a five to like 10 game chunk. Exactly. Maybe, yeah, somewhere somewhere in there. And then we like get feedback from all the experts in our decision space community that are so awesome on those games where like these are things maybe we missed. We bring in that expert opinion. I love when other podcasts, uh, I listen to this podcast called Retronauts that's really amazing. And every once in a while they do a mailbag episode and it's basically just listeners write in about their experience with the game. And I love that because it brings in this sort of other perspective and sometimes it validates and sometimes it offers a different view. And that's awesome. And I think that could be interesting. And it might also be interesting. I don't think I could go back and play while still preparing for new episodes like those games 10 times. But I no, bet I could sure. go back and play. We could play Carpe Diem once. I don't even think it's that valuable for us to like intentionally replay a game i think it's more value to be like okay so we recorded this game a year ago and we said we loved it and would keep playing do it we still love it did yeah. did we actually do that or not you know what i mean totally yeah and i guess what i'm saying is i want to play carpe diem again yeah but but i don't know if i want to play res arcana again but we right. did say we would cover res arcana again so like i sort of feel compelled to okay we should play it at least once and then see like i could see the five episode chunked retrospective combined. I like that idea. Things. I like yeah. that idea quite a bit. Okay, let's keep ruminating. We'll keep ruminating. And if you have ideas about this and want to share with us, of course, we'd love to have them. I want 
all of our episodes to be appealing to everybody who subscribes to this podcast. And like, you know, that's why I was kind of thinking like it as a segment could make sense in some way. But I mean, that that maybe is an impossible standard. Totally. And I also think that I love that the word that really struck out to me from Quickspace's review was rewarding. And that that word as a piece of feedback makes me feel really proud of the work that we've done on the show to sort of lock morsels of insightful information away in those game episodes where if you have engaged with the game, it gives you something really needy to chew on. And I think even in cases where you haven't, I hope, and I hope to do this even more, we sort of bring in perspective and history that contextualizes the game uh, in a way that even if you haven't played the game, there's probably value. Like our, our Tigris and Euphrates episode, I hope that you didn't have to play Tigris and Euphrates to enjoy that episode. And I don't think you did. So even more, if we can do that and sort of build up that reputation, I think over time, maybe we can pull people into the game episodes they haven't listened to. And totally. also, you can always like, quickly skim a rule book i think and get nobody's a sense going enough. to do that jake they are is i it just would never me? i would it's never do that I you would, don't like, read rule books on airplanes like prior to like listening to a podcast episode no i've, I've i expect to like be like spoon fed everything i need to know i always come on the show and jake tells me i'm such a weirdo <laughs> no that's not no it's you know different strokes but i'm definitely in the majority on this one um <laughs> But anyway, maybe you found that discussion interesting. And if it's brought on any ideas, definitely let us know. You can join the Discord. You can leave us a review. And both of those things uh, would be immensely appreciated. And you know what? Just listening to the show, being here now in it of itself, that is perfectly fine too. Thank you for being here. Brendan, what do you say we get into what we said we were going to talk about uh, and kind of do the part two of the vacation game? Yeah, let's do it, which is part one of this podcast. Which is like games we've been playing, taking turns in. I'm really excited for this one, Jake. I want to hear, I've heard that you played a heavy hitter. You actually alluded to the fact that you'd be playing it. And it's a game I've never played. And I think when, now I'm totally bearing the lead. And I love when we do this. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Because I know everyone's wondering about what game I'm actually talking about. I'm just not going to say it. I'm going to talk about how excited I am about it. And how when I first started <laughs> playing board games with the hobby, everyone talked about this game and how it was a game that you just had to experience. And now I feel like people don't talk about it. It's just, it's kind of disappeared. It's a yeah. Friedman Freeze game. Oh, now what people are, now they know. Now people like, are this, really wondering. This game is Power Grid. Uh, mm. The best known Friedman and Freeze game. Fr- Friedman and Freeze? Freedom and Freeze? Friedman Freeze. Freed, like Friedman? Like my name? Yeah, Friedman Freeze. His first name is my last name? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, Freedom I have, yeah, Freedomin. Okay. Uh, okay. Anyway, it's Power Grid, and this is actually a game that I had never played before. A game that I own, uh, just as a super sort of side. I bought this game uh, from somebody who was doing like a moving, and they had like packed it away into like a smaller box. Huh, okay? okay. So it has everything you need, but it's in like a much smaller box, and the board is like stored separately. I think because of that, I absolutely like never played it because it's just like a white nondescript looking box on myself. Yeah. Um, so I just, you know, I never think like I'm going to pull this out. So I've owned it for like five years, never once really even considered playing it. But I headed to 
Denver over the weekend to my friend's wedding. I have a group chat with a bunch of college friends and somebody posts in the group chat like, hey, if nobody, if you don't have anything going on uh, Sunday morning, the day of the wedding, like we're going to be getting together to play Power Grid. And I was like, hey, that sounds like something I might be interested to do. So I jumped in the game of Power Grid. And what I quickly realized was that the groom and his friends are very serious Power Grid players. Like this is their game. And the other thing I learned while uh, the, the setup was going on was that I was sitting down to play this game of Power Grid with a bunch of literal renewable energy engineers. So they were like, like not only do they just like sit around and apparently play Power Grid all day, um, but they like are subject matter experts on the theme of this game. So it's just like this kind of amazing thing. If you haven't played Power Grid, it's kind of a, a difficult game to quickly give you the synopsis of. Essentially, you are kind of building a network across a board. There are a bunch of different maps you can pick up for this game. We played on the original. I requested the original Germany map because it's my first time playing the game. So what you do is first, will there's an auction phase where you will bid on... Uh, different power plants there's different types of power plant Uh, there's some power plants that consume coal some that consume trash some that consume nuclear energy and some that are uh, oil and some that are renewable resource power plants and those don't require any fuel at all so you bid for power plants they all cost varying resources and power a varying number of cities then there's a kind of an auction for resources so uh, very simple like supply and demand system here where if a lot of people are trying to power coal uh, power plants uh, then coal becomes more expensive very quickly because uh, everybody's trying to buy it Um, and the same thing with all of them so you take turns buying resources then you're placing out uh, paying money to place out little cities on the map uh, and then you get money at the end based on how many uh, cities that you're able to power using your power plants and burning fuel. And then you just repeat that loop until the game is over, essentially. I had a really good time playing this. Uh, I, you know, playing with like a very experienced group, I end up finishing dead blast, but the actual like end game condition is that in this was to have X number of cities connected. And then the winner is the person that, So basically in the four player game, which is what we played, you had to have 17 cities in your network uh, that would trigger the end game. And then whoever powered the most cities at the end of the game won. So I got up to 17 cities and powered them all in that final turn. Nice. Um, But the, the winning person had powered 18 cities and second had also powered 18 cities. And then third had powered 17. And I also powered 17. But then it's like uh, the tiebreaker is like how much leftover money you had. So it was like a super tight game. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else there is to say about it. It was it was very enjoyable. I think like now that I've played it, like the, the question I've been asking myself is like, am I going to now like get my copy mm. of Power Grid to the table? And I'm not like sure that I will. I think it just it, it it's a little long a little complicated, I think, for like the decision space payout. But I think like a lot of people love this game for very good reason. It's definitely the type of game that because like the interaction is so high, the economies are like very like 
it, it feels like a very like grokable economic game in a way. You know, so I think like people who are not like don't want to go full like 18xx, like super heavy, but do want to play an economic game like this is probably a good one to go for. That's really cool. Also, it's amazing to hear just how tight the game was with all of you coming in within one or two, like within one connected city. That's amazing. A few things. One, I just looked it up. The I was curious about I sort of built up this reputation of Power Grid. And the at one point in time, this was the number two ranked game on Board Game Geek. So it's not an overstatement to say that this game like totally enraptured the board game community for many years. And it came out in 2004, and it sort of still had that reputation into the early aughts and, and really had this huge reputation. But I think one of the chief criticisms at that point in time that was sort of levied against it, and I'm curious to hear your take on this, Jake, is that the amount of calculation that you had to do in the game was just a little bit too much. Like that, like, oh, we're going to play Power Grid. Everyone bring your old solar solar calculators. You're going to really need it for this one. Did you find that it was a calculation heavy experience? I, so I had all, I had heard that concern um, and it was not as bad as I thought it would be. Like in general, like there's, there's a lot of times that you have to like do very simple math. Like every time mm. you expand your city you just have to like add the cost to expand a city which is like 10 15 or 20 basically depending on what phase of the game you're in plus the variable cost of like the the network like there's basically like a little path between each city that has a variable cost to it so it could be like two to like 21 or something uh just depending on where you want to go so okay. if you're trying to like connect three cities in a turn you're that's like a bunch of math, uh, not like a bunch, you know, but like simple addition to just like figure out, okay, what's the cost? And and you kind of sometimes you're like, I just, you don't care where you're putting them. You just want to do it the cheapest way possible. So there's like, can be like a bit of like looking at the map and just like figuring out what's your cheapest expansion routes. So, I mean, it's not like great, you know, it doesn't add a lot to the game and it takes a bit, but, but it wasn't like horrible. I guess the issue though is like, if you wanted to, you could add up that also like figure out you know the cost of your likely cost of resources uh and do that like prior to making any bids yeah uh, and it didn't really come up until the very last auction of the game uh so you can only have three power plants at a time uh, and they you can each power a variable number of cities so i had kind of made like a rookie error and totally shot myself in the foot going to the last round where i had three power plans uh that were all could power five cities and there was only so 15 max and then yeah. when we got to the auction phase there was only one power plant out there that could power seven cities um, so you needed so, it you had, so to, I had to have it i had to yeah. have it um and and the, another person in the game who was i was like not in contention to win um and the other person in the game could have potentially won uh, because that power plant would have enabled them to get up to 18 right mm, yep and it basically created this situation where like he was bidding he had done all the math okay like yeah. to figure out exactly what he could bid and uh he was like you know so the, the cost of thing is like 50 it's like your minimum bid base you know we, we're up to he's like like 71 you know he's like 70 80 i'm like 81 you know just like going up and up and he's like looking at me like i'm crazy i like explained it to him I was like dude i have to have that because 
you know, this is the situation I'm in. Like, just let me have it. And he's like, well, I also need to have it. And he, and then he, so he kept bidding up and I kept bidding more. He's like, dude, you're crazy. Like, you're not going to be able to do anything. Like, have you even done your math? I'm like, I'm just like inferring. I'm doing like back of the napkin math. And he got like kind of annoyed. Like, I'll do the math for you. And he like kind of came over to like my side of the table, like count up my money and my routes. Uh, and he's like, oh, oh, you actually could spend quite a bit. And it, so it be turned reasonable, out, Jake. Yeah. So it turned out like the the cost that I could afford was, was hun- that he could not was a hundred and two dollars. Yeah. So I got it wow. for like exactly market price. <laughs> you know, it's like the market demanded that I, that was like the only you know that I would have to spend that much. And I did and ended up shooting us both in the foot. So he ended up getting not getting third, and I ended up getting fourth. Yeah, but interesting. So th- so definitely. That was like the only point of the game where I was like, okay, like this Math. is kind of silly. Yeah. So I, I was like trying to cover up my money a little bit, like as a joke. I was like, I don't want to do the math. Like I just want to play. I think this is yeah. going to work out. And he was like, not acceptable. Like uh, that's, you know, in their magic circle, they do the math. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Well, that's super interesting, Jake. I guess one more quick question. We spent a fair amount of time on Power Grid, but uh, this is my like, most interesting thing. So for sure. in my list of games. So I, the what's other ones your, are quick favorite decision that you made would you say or like the coolest decision you saw at the table the coolest part of the game to me was the way turn order worked um so basically if you're first in turn order that means so so basically turn order is calculated by how many cities you have out on the board so if i have 10 cities and you have nine then i'm gonna be one you're gonna be two and then if two, if we're both at nine, it's whoever has the higher valued, po- highest powered value, valued power plant. So like you have a power plant that's number 39, I have 37, then okay, you're ahead of me. Um, and the way it works, if I remember correctly, is like in the, uh, the first person has to make the first bid on a power plant, which is strategically disadvantageous because you get sure. to, like you the get other people get stuff. to, yeah, right. Um, and if you're like the last person to bid, so basically you can only get one power plant turn. So if you're the last person to bid, you get a power plant at cost uh, or cheaper because of this other like little mechanism where like a power plant can be whatever the cheapest power plant like out on the board in the auction is is one dollar. Okay. And then you switch to like the resource bidding thing, which is like, and it goes in reverse player order there. So like the first coal off the board that you buy costs like one. But then like there can only but then it gets like more and more expensive as it goes. So if you're like the last person to bid for coal, you know, you might be paying like seventeen dollars for what the first person to go paid three dollars for or whatever. Interesting. Um, so there's like really cool strategic considerations of like when do you want to actually like expend money to like jump out for because you also get money, like income for how many cities you have powered. So it's like you want to play the cities, but at, at the same time, like there's like moments where you like have all this money and like could do a lot, and you just say like, "Nope, I'm gonna like not do that so that I can like do more on my next turn." And I thought those like strategic considerations were for me like the big highlight of the game. Well, it sounds like Power Grid was a lot of fun for you, and that it was like a genuinely enjoyable board game experience with people who were real experts at the game, but also that you could like dive in and really like. Put a put up a run for your money and also like make some interesting decisions. It sounds really cool. Yeah, it was really fun experience overall. Um, thanks to the P 
people who taught me how to play. Uh, it was a fun thing to do on like a wedding trip. And also it's just fun to see how like different, like it's cool that there's like gaming groups out there that are like, we just play this game. You know, I kind of like brought some other games in my backpack. Backpack. I was like, you know, if you guys want to try these, I got them. They're like, nope, we're like, we're a power grid household here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like lifestyle of games that feel like obscure games to be lifestyle gamers of. That's yeah. Well, that's like how I was in undergrad. Like we just played Settlers of Catan. Sure. And that sure, was it. Sure. And that was and we had a great time, you know, yeah. and that, that's kind of like where they're at. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I love, too, that it's power grid. It's just yeah, so specific. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They found their love. Yeah, yeah exactly. Awesome. Cool. Uh, OK, Brendan, why don't you do your first? I think we said I was going to do all mine, but that took a long time. So I'd love for you to share your experience with this first game that I'm really excited to hear you talk about. Okay, I'm pivoting on you though, but I know you'll be excited to hear me talk about this one too. You on the last episode were like, you should take the mind because I was doubting that I should take the mind with us. And I was sort of like the mind will, I suggested the mind, but I was like, no, we shouldn't take the mind. And then we ended up taking the mind and we, it was perfect. Okay, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> yeah, mind, so heck yeah. We, we did play at a non-supported player account. We played at five players. So we were kind of venturing into uncharted waters and playing at five players of the mind makes the mind strictly more difficult. Yeah. But the thing <laughs> yeah. about the mind is, is that it doesn't really matter. Like we were never in that first sitting of the mind going to beat the mind as a group of players. If it was four players or five players, we were there for the, for the experience, not so much the, the potential of beating the mind which is a very difficult pursuit even at two players basically Uh, impossible yeah i was basically like whatever we're gonna play this game with five players it's gonna be awesome and it was awesome it was hilarious no one was there's some groups of the mind where the first couple of hands okay so for people who don't know the mind the mind is this game uh from wolf game wars that came out a few years ago it's a deck of cards in value from one uh, to 100 and the goal of the game is to play all cards dealt to every player in ascending order uh, and you have cards equal to the level that you're currently playing and you start on level one so everyone starts with a hand of one cards and you try to work your way all the way up to level 13 where you all have like i think it's 13 maybe that's wrong maybe it's nine of uh, so, some obscenely large hand of cards and you're trying to play your cards in ascending order uh to the table but the only most important rule is you cannot talk you literally can't talk. So we had this really difficult or task. Communicate with, or communicate in any other way. in any other way. Yeah, you can't put up numbers and, and all that. Yeah. You have to, using your mind, know when, intuit, to play your cards in the center. That's order. true. You can telepathically communicate. Exactly. You can telepathically communicate. And oh boy, were we not a telepathic group, <laughs> which some groups of the mind, you sort of sit down and you find your groove quickly, right? You like both kind of know that like, oh, this is about how long we should wait to play our cards in the teens. Uh, this is an awkward gap, but we're going to make it through it because we're jumping three digits ahead. And you have these huge, exciting moments where you win. We had a lot of huge, exciting moments where we lost. Uh, And that was still a ton of fun. There was a time, you know, we got through level one, fine. We got through level two, fine. We got to level three, crash and burn, crash and burn, crash and burn. So we kind of just like, okay, let's just try level four for fun. And I would say we, we quote unquote, like played the mind for about 40 minutes, um, like loosely following the rules, kind of just having this fun magic circle of trying to do this task that we had an absolute blast. It's no surprise to me that the mind became the breakout hit that it was just because of the moments that it can create. 
Um, like the social experience is so good, even if at times like the game is too difficult or if the rules don't quite hold together or aren't quite explicit enough. It just is fun. And like the magic circle it creates is really fun. Um, what do you mean and- the rules aren't explicit enough? Okay, Jake, like sometimes like, <laughs> you can't communicate is so true. Like that is, that's a good rule. But can I make a face? Can I, can I, can I pull back and reel away from the table? Okay. I mean, that's fair, but that's like every, that's like the exact same as the crew or like any other. Sure. But like non-communication game. And I think that's one thing that a lot of non-communication games kind of struggle with and something that like code names that provides a real specific sense of clarity around what you can do. You can say one word and a set of numbers. Why code names work so well. For yeah. As okay. A non-communication game. It's, it's fuzzier than that. But I even though you know people will mess that up though too, totally. Yeah, people say say a concept instead of a word, and like yeah, yeah, Harry Harry Potter and three or whatever. Yeah, um, right. But I think in the mind it works because it lets you calibrate to to what your group needs the mind to be. At least that was my experience of it, and it was so fun. So that's, that's my awesome. that's my story. I have a mind. question for you. Yes, did you follow the most important rule of the game, where before each round? Everyone has to put their hand palm down on the table, look at each other's eye, and then one only then, once you're ready and truly sinking your minds, do you create consensus, pull your hand back, and begin the game? Yes, and then we also all said... Okay, I was going to say, if you didn't do that, then that's why you lost. <laughs> we also all cheated, though. We said, the mind. Every time. Well, that's why you lost. <laughs> <laughs> but it felt really fun. Yeah, that is fun. No, that's okay. Cool. I'm glad you What's... had a good experience with it. Thank you, Jake. What's your mm-hmm. next game? My next game is So Clover. And this is a game I've talked about on this podcast a lot, so I don't want to talk about it much more here. But man, this game is just such a fun word game. Uh, basically, I had a lot of time to kill on uh, Monday, yesterday, before nice. my late flight out. Um, and I, we, I met up with some friends at a cool bar in Denver called grandma's house. Maybe some of you have heard of it. Uh, and basically grandma's house, they really like lean into the theme. So they have like, you know, somebody's like, it's, they have like a, it's like a little brewery, like every place you ever enter in Denver is essentially a brewery. Um, so, so they're one. And then they have like, so the person who like told me about it, I was like, oh, it's cool. It's like a brewery and they have games. So I was like, that's perfect. We'll meet there, chill there for a couple hours before we head to the airport. Uh, so we walk in and it's like, they have games, but it's like 100% the game shelf that your grandma has. Your grandma like has, all, yeah. Like, yeah, like all these like super like classic games and just like incredibly worn out boxes, you know? Uh, yeah. no, no modern games at all uh, to yeah. speak of. But fortunately, I had some games in my backpack. Um, so I whipped out so clover we had a group of six people and we ended up playing three rounds of it so clover is the impossible to explain verbally word game where you're doing word association on a four-leaf clover i'm gonna leave it at that um but you know it just like never fail it's you know it's like one of those games that just like some games are delicate right it creates like it, it takes like a very specific situation like a very specific magic circle and so clover's one that just like is the opposite of that right it's like if you win every you're you're, you put your clues out there and the everyone figures it out that's like amazing and satisfying 
uh, if you get it wrong, like that's hilarious. And everybody's like yelling at you for like coming up with like bad clues. Like, you know, like I had m- one of my clues was like, uh, like at the two words I'd associate was like mirror and cabbage. And I couldn't think of anything. And eventually I went with like lettuce. I was like, that's kind of like a mirror, the mirror cabbage. Huh. And <laughs> did it work? No, it didn't work at all. Everybody's like, what are you talking about, you freaking moron? And I was like, well, what would you do for mirror lettuce or mirror cabbage? I don't know, you know? Yeah. Uh, so just stuff like that, right? It's like, it's like great if you win, but it's almost even better if you lose. Everybody laughed. We played it for like an hour and a half or longer. And like, could, we could have gone again, but we had to go to the, the airport. Can you, say, can you say two words? No, you can can't you say, say like, two words. You can't say crystal ball. No, you can't say crystal crystal ball. No, For maybe like cabbage. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean that's an illegal <laughs> clue, but like also it's not a good clue. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will ever top trailer syrup. Yeah, trailer syrup, brand. which is also two words. Well, that oh, was the, those were the two years. Ranch was trailer Ranch syrup. was the clue. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, so good. So yeah, it's a great game, man. I, I'm gonna get it's just, it. It's it's a great. It's just a it's just a great one. I was feeling a distinct lack of party games, Jake, in my options that I could take because the pandemic basically made it such that for two years or two and a half years, I wasn't thinking about party games because it was just Maya and I playing games in our house, which was great. Uh, But it meant that when I went to like, oh, I would really love to have X game. I just didn't have it. And I probably should fix that. But the way that we fixed it on this trip was that we just played the game that kind of took over the vacation. Uh, I'm going to talk about another game that we played. Well, I already mentioned it. I spoiled it. Babylonia. That's coming. But the game that really took over the trip was just Celebrity, uh, which people might know by the name of Time's Up or Monikers. In my family, we call it Celebrity. Jake, we just played Celebrity like every single night. We played Celebrity so much we broke a lamp because people were so <laughs> into it. And it turns out that lamp was this hand uh, handmade por- porcelain lamp that was $500. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> my brother-in-law got so excited about winning a round that he knocked off a table. <laughs> so TBD on how how uh, much we have to pay to replace that lamp. But vacation game see. part three, we'll do. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but we were. It was just. It was such a blast. Like every memory I have of celebrity, where celebrity is just an awesome game. Uh, it, it just it's so true it's so malleable i love when you play celebrity and everyone creates the the topics the prompts that you're going to use in the bowl and it's just I, I don't know i don't have to go on and on about celebrity but i just felt like sort of talking last week i mentioned that we might play celebrity celebrity and i felt like i'd be remiss on this episode episode not to mention that we played celebrity like five times it was amazing every night we played it people were like Beggings to stay up to play one more round of celebrity we were switching teams having winners draft their teams creating prompts around what you could put in the bowl what you couldn't put in the bowl um all of these sorts of roles and it was so fun that's amazing yeah um yeah i've 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 played monikers quite a bit and it's definitely an amazing game and i think i'm ready to move to like celebrity where i can just like come up with my own clues because at this point, like I know a lot of the, the words mm. in my box, which is yeah. like an unfair advantage. It totally. just is. Yeah. Um, well, I have two more games on my list and they're not even board games at all. One of them is a mega dexterity game. It's disc golf. I played disc golf at 
at uh, the trip at a really tiny little kind of pitch and putt course in Boulder. Um, it was fun. My friend drove up, took me there. It was great playing disc golf with someone kind of, who's kind of newer to the game. Um, it was a blast. The other thing that I've been playing or thinking about playing, talk about a game that really requires a lot of prep, hours and hours of prep. Uh, if you're weird and neurotic like me, and that is fantasy football. I am a huge fan of fantasy football. I'm just like a big American football fan in general. Um, I don't really have anything to say of relevance to this podcast, but if you want to talk to me about fantasy football, let's we'll, we'll chop it up in the Discord. I want to, I want to pick pick people's brains. So, for going those, Brendan, this is what I want to do with the last section of my time, and then I'll go back to you. Amazing. Uh, I want to tell a story that I forgot to tell last time about vacation gaming. Okay. Uh, and this is, I can't believe I like was thinking about this as I was editing the podcast. Like, I can't believe I didn't tell that story. And this happened when my wife and I visited Japan okay. and we navigated our way to a board game shop in Tokyo. It's, uh, I think it's called like the yellow submarine, the yellow submarine. That's what yeah. it is. The legend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we go to the yellow submarine and I'm looking around, basically like wanting to get like some souvenir games, yeah. you know, so pick up some stuff that like I can't get anywhere. I've like, you know, been deep on like Reddit threads of like games to buy in Japan, blah, 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 like, you know, with, that you could easily play without knowing the language. And this guy comes up to us, Japanese guy. And so he's like, oh, the, you know, tell, talking about gaming and uh, how he has like a game group here. And, you know, he's speaking great English. So it's really nice. Um and he's like where are you guys from my white bridges he's like i'm from mississippi you know that's like in kind of the south part of the united states and i'm and i'm like i'm from kansas that's like right in the middle of the the united states and he like looks at us he's like oh cool i'm from boston (laughs) it's just like it was like such an embarrassing moment and i look at this like japanese dude again like standing in front of me and he's like literally wearing a boston red Sox hat (laughs) i'm just like i am the biggest dumbass ever it was so embarrassing he was really friendly about it but it was like just such a humiliating moment oh rough (laughs) the submarine's sake yeah exactly (laughs) that's awesome i that's a good story jake oh my gosh that i feel like people mention that show shop all the time when they talk about japan i just i really want to go there's so many like i don't need to go off on a change about all the little stores i want to go to in akihabara but one day i wasn't even gonna attempt that district name so thanks for getting that i got you i got you okay my final two games we played Enchanted Plumes. It was really fun. I had to mention it. It's fun to teach Enchanted Plumes to new players. We played a, a five-player game of Enchanted Plumes. Uh, and I, I I, feel... So Enchanted Plumes is one of my designs. Uh, it's a classic card game. It's really, really fun. Uh, once you get up to five players, I feel like the deck, I always wish it was a little bit bigger. And I felt that a little bit with this group. Um, but it sort of clipped around the table and it came down to my and I got to make some like interesting decisions about the size of peacocks we were going for in the mid game. And she ended up clutching it out by one turn. I was pretty disappointed to lose to her. Uh, and she held it over my head for the entire weekend, but it was a fun game. And I always enjoy the chance to share one of my own games with new people, but the main event 
Reiner Knizia's Babylonia. So I've talked about Babylonia a lot on the show. And I feel like eventually I really want to do a classic decision space deep dive on it, uh, which means getting some plays of Babylonia on the table for Jake, maybe even one day bringing Maya in, because as I said, Maya was the one who really wanted to bring Babylonia on the trip, which is very exciting. And we had a group of five. So Babylonia plays one to four players. And so what we decided to do after some discussion was break into three teams and play a three-player game of Babylonia, which was actually awesome because it meant that there was lots of open discussion about strategic and tactical decisions um, that I think really helped the newer players at the table sort of grapple with the decision space of the game in an interesting way. And the game, uh, I played it with my brother and sister-in-law, Maya, who's played the game about 10 times, myself, who's played the game about 10 times. Maybe we're up to like 15 or 20 now, uh, and one other person. And we, uh, the teach of the game was a little bit rough because my brother and sister-in-law don't play a ton of games. Historically, we've played games like Modern Art together or even further back in time, Catan. I've also played Castles of Mad King Ludwig with my sister-in-law. She really loved that. And Kanagawa. Like they'll play games with us, but mostly when we're around is when games come out. So they're always on board, but they're not sort of in the regular practice of flexing their game learning muscles. But this particular game of Babylonia, once we got past them learning the game, we sort of hit the ground running. Everyone took completely different paths through the game. And one thing about Babylonia, this is a tile placement game sort of in the spirit of Reiner Kinesia's t- classic trilogy, like Samurai, or it has a little flair of Tiger and Euphrates, or even his newer game, Blue Lagoon. There's lots of these ideas bubbling up. Um, and one cool thing about this game is there's this real tension between these three core ways that you score points, city scoring, ziggurat scoring, and farms. Uh, that create this really dynamic ecosystem where if one player or one team in this case pushes too far in one direction, it sort of like warps what's good and warps how many points you can get from a certain thing in a way that makes the decision space feel alive and organic and exciting. And this game played out so differently than most plays I've ever seen because everyone kind of stuck to their own little areas, uh, which it's a game that's typically played very confrontationally and This is a very confrontational group of people uh, as far as people go and game players go. Uh, So I was surprised to see us all sort of turtled up in our own area, but it it made for a really exciting late game where no one, none of us really knew who would win. Uh, Maya's team and her, my sister-in-law's team, which were separate teams, they both pursued ziggurats really hard because they wanted the special powers that came with that. Um, so my brother and sister-in-law got the ziggurat power that let you have seven tiles to choose from instead of five really early on, which was uh, really powerful. And then my wife and her teammate got these two other powers and I sort of ignored them. And we ended up scoring 101 points to 106 points to 114 points. And it was just this amazing play, perfectly linked uh, play of that game for the group. And I think there were lots of tense moments. I came in second. I was very disappointed. I really needed, I made this bet essentially that my uh, brother and sister-in-law would jump in and score a city that would be really good for them to score, but even better for me to score. Uh, But I needed them to kind of collaborate on that and that didn't happen. So in that not happening, Maya and her teammates sort of swung to victory by getting a late ziggurat and getting 10 bonus points from a special power. Just this amazing play of a really good game. So that's 
My Vacation Story, it carried through. We got it played over Azul, Cascadia, Trails of Tucana, all went to the wayside. We played Babylonia, and it was awesome. It's fascinating to me that you subjected everyone to that, even at a not appropriate player count. We pitched... I pitched every other game and they were like, no, we want to play Babylonia. Like, I don't know, maybe. man. I don't know. I feel like maybe you're like, or we could do this one that I'm really excited about. And they were like, I guess we'll do it. I kind of sandbagged it. I don't know. I'm telling you. I think it was the the shared electricity that my and I feel for the game that probably yeah. snuck through. It yeah. also, this group wanted a really interactive game. You know, last time we played a game with them, we played Cascadia and they really enjoyed it. But I think that they, when they play board games, want games where you can be up in mm-hmm. each other's business. And I think that out of the games we took, Babylonia was the game that was going to get us in a shared play space, really interacting. And then we all kind of stuck to our own areas. Yeah, so right. It's hilarious. That's, like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just how it I think that's. Out. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, very cool. I'm glad that you had a good experience with it. I, I'm just, like, fascinated because I would just never do that, you know? Sure. Like, is nothing sacred? Now we just play games at any player count? Shame <laughs> on you. You wouldn't play team? <laughs> it was, I, um... you know, no, I mean, I have done teams. I mean, but not in recent memory, I think. like I love I, a good team play. I, I, th- that, I mean, I think that's fine. Like, vacation is a good setting to, like, bust that out. But I think, like, for me, sometimes I get, like, limited by my own collection of games. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's like yeah. I have, if I own 100 games and they're taking up space in my house, like, I'm probably not going to force, like, six, pe- five people into a four-player game. I'm gonna I didn't pick force the, like, anyone. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, I'm, I, I didn't I mean like I didn't I didn't mean like you forced them to play, but I mean like you forced the I hear what you're saying. square I hear what you're saying. peg into the round the hole, round hole, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think I think you're underselling the joy of playing team games. Like, mm. have you ever played a two player game with two players on each side? Team game played by two on each side. I mean, so not fun. not that I can really remember. I mean, I've played, so like, cool. obviously, like, 2v2 games I've played. Sometimes I play doubles in disc golf. I feel like you... So I feel I, like I, there, there's upside to it. Sure. Let's put our brains together and see who the combined brains are better. It's it's so... You, like, discover these paths through the decision space you'd never see, you know? I think to me, like, I hear that and I think, like, okay, but which one of these two players is the active player and mm. which one of these two people is, like, along for the ride? Mm. You know, especially when there's, like an unbalance between like uh um like skill and experience, experience. with the game yeah. like so you played by yourself i did and maya who's very experienced yep. played with somebody who's less experienced or has never yes. played with yep yeah, yeah yeah you know and i think they, i think that could sound as i mean I, i'm not saying i'm not like telling you that these people like had a bad time like it sounds like everyone no had a great for time. sure and that's fine um but i think like I don't know. I, I think like this, that is like a fraught situation. I'm not telling it, people like nobody do it. I'm just saying like, I think I, it I, definitely I, can be for sure. Especially if someone's like taking the wheel and not giving any, uh, any leeway to their opponent. But I will say the game Maya played, I think was different than the game she would have played from that position yeah. on her own, which is, it's fun for me to see. I, but I, it's not, I like it, want to subject you to this. I think it's just the classic, like, quarterback challenge like with pandemic right 
It's like I could, if I'm the most experienced player there, do you I can think like, though, I can say like, here's an idea, you know, and either people are like, okay, well, we should probably do that because Jake's played this way more than me. Or like somebody's like says something and I'm just sitting there like, well, that doesn't seem optimal. And I just like you, either say that or I just like gnash my teeth. Would we I have made, that problem? Do you think if we played a game together? Yeah. Okay. If we, if, if, if it was a game that, yeah, I think we definitely would. If it was a game that's like, we had like a big unbalance in, in terms of like experience in. Hmm. I mean, I okay. still think we'd have, I, we'd, like, I think we'd have fun like playing like any game together anytime in like most situations. I but I think that it depends on the type of game though, which could reveal something interesting about decision space. Because I feel like if we played castles of Burgundy together, nine times out of 10, I'm deferring to you and I'm not arguing at all. I'm just like, yeah. Jake, what are, what are we doing? Like, okay. But I do think if we played Babylonia together, there's a chance that because of the vast amount of options that tile lane games bring, mm-hmm. there's just things that you would see as a new player that I wouldn't even be considering that might be viable. So maybe it depends on the type of game. And these the other game I was thinking of is Monolith Arena, one of my favorite games that like we I've talked about on the show really rarely. But that's another game that presents tons of options to the player. So maybe games with high search factors work really well in this sort of team setting where you're presented with just this like huge space that you could play into and having a team just lets you look a little broader than you would by yourself. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a really, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting too. And I I think like what also is like hugely important in this like little thought experiment is um, the like stakes, like how much do we care about winning the game? Because if, if it's like, yeah, it just depends a lot on the magic circle. If we're in like a tournament and we're playing like on sure. the same side and we're like really trying to win, we probably lean way more, he- you know, heavily on the more experienced person. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I it also could make games run way longer, right? You have the discussion and the back and forth, but I exactly. think in the learning environment, it, it became a, a boon just that people were sort of puzzling out what we were doing together. And it it kind of evened the playing field a little bit where I could chime in a little bit more about like, well, mm-hmm. this option gives you this benefit, whereas this option gives you this benefit. And then Maya might be like, don't do this. And factoring into, you know, the other team and sort of they were weighing the decisions overall. It was fun. Cool. We've And then can I sneak one other final thought in here? Yes. Okay. As my final thought in this Sundries episode, I want to talk briefly about Keyforge with you in this podcast. Okay. Because, right. okay, you recently got a ton of decks for $1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell me some about your experience? Like, so you took a break from the game for a while, I think, yeah. right? During the pandemic. Yeah. The last I played, I played when Dark Tidings came out. I bought like a box and I did a, a draft or not a draft, then, but like just played sealed with some friends. And it didn't sink its tender hooks into you because it, for many of us, did not grip us. I had a similar experience. I bought one box of Dark Tidings. It was like, this is cool. I don't like it. I don't know. I liked it. I had fun playing it, but I just didn't like, I don't know. Yeah, I I guess so. I didn't like continue playing it uh, after that experience. No. Okay. How? Okay. So how was I guess I did. Well, no, I played online a little bit. I did. Yeah. A little. Okay. Well, how was your experience of getting those mass mutation decks? You had been like playing with Bridget some. Are you like thinking yeah. about the game more again? Well, so I I got one box of mass mutations, one box of world collide. Uh, okay. and when and me and Bridget just were playing uh quite a bit together at first. And she was really so we played 
um you know we'd both open one and we we're kind of doing like a little like tournament type things where it's like if you like won with the deck it would like stay out and the other cool. deck would like retire and if you yeah. won like two t- uh, one deck won twice we put it in like the winner's corner or whatever uh and we we're gonna like sort of like do see play through the box that way and we might still do that uh when bridget returns she's out of town doing her dissertation research in peru for a few months um but she was really excited and having a ton of fun with it because she won like the first two times we played nice and then i won like maybe like three times in a row like she was like i'm done less (laughs) enthusiastic about it yeah Uh, and that might have been all we played together so those are i've only opened like six or seven of the decks so far so i have a lot of like decks sealed up and you know i'd be glad to play sealed with people but like and, and that was still like overall a very fun experience but i'm not like itching to like open them like i once would like i can't like just mm. sit on decks of keyforge without opening them like that would have passed me just like driven me absolutely insane i would have like you know torn them open or like used them as like a reward to myself while i was working I'd be like okay if i work for productively for an hour then I, i'm gonna go open a deck and play a game nice. of keyforge or something but yeah so they've just been sitting there so i would say like my enthusiasm for the game overall is like pretty subdued at this point yeah so and you haven't been playing online at all no not at all yeah interesting why do you ask i was just i so i took a similar break from the game where like i was really excited for dark tidings got it i didn't love it i thought the tide mechanic was sort of parasitic and i i wasn't excited by sort of the decks there and now after a long time away from the game I was really missing playing a card game. I didn't want to play magic. You know, I kind of, we talked on the show about how like during the pandemic, I revisited magic during Kaldheim and loved it. But then I kind of was like, oh, no, I, I really liked Kaldheim. I don't really like magic anymore. I just really like that set. Um, so I was like, but I do really like Keyforge. So I started playing Keyforge a little bit. And then I started looking at decks online a little bit. And I was like, why don't I, instead of trying to buy really good decks, just try to buy some really fun decks um that are still good uh so i recently acquired a deck that i showed you in the discord which is a mass mutation deck that has library access which is a a card that got eroded from the first set and then was actually like reprinted but downgraded a ton in this version called library card where you have to play it and then you can use it but so the deck i found in keyforge you can have these things called uh mavericks no anomalies wait f legacy legacy oh legacy oh. legacy legacy yeah, they're they're all different things in the game but yeah, they're all different things what but this is like a card that randomly gets pulled in from an old set and put in a new set so i found this card that gives me the really strong version of a card called library access in a new set that doesn't have that card um and i was like this deck looks really fun i'll get it and this deck when i first played it i was like oh this deck is fun but not great and the more i played it the more i'm sort of convinced this deck is just actually total juice it's so fun and all of its deficiencies i've decided like don't matter it's completely changed my perspective (laughs) on the game and i'm having so much fun playing it so i just felt remiss not to share with you i also did buy another deck that i feel like is just legitimately good uh that has data forge we both played uh our friend the nick of slots had a really good data forge deck that i owned for a brief period of time before he purchased it back to me and i was like oh i missed this card i'm gonna buy a deck like that so i also bought that deck and 
I've just been playing the library access one. So I just wanted to share that I've been playing some Keyforge again. I'm really enjoying it. It's a really fun game with really interesting decisions. I know, I know on this show, there's not like a ton of room for us to go deep on interesting decisions and specific cards and that sort of thing. But I'm just struck by how the systems in Keyforge create such interesting decisions and so many specific cards in their design encourage strong uh, decision points in a way that I feel like a lot of other games don't in terms of yeah. the ebb and flow of the game. And I just appreciate it and love it and want to talk about it for a minute. And yeah, ooh, no library access wild ride. Just like seeing your excitement because I can see you now. Hopefully it's yeah. coming across like in the podcast as well as like, it's really infectious. Like it makes me want to play it more again. And you know, we don't really do news here, but I'm sure most of our, well, maybe not most. I don't know. If you're not aware, Keyforge is coming back. Uh, it has yeah. been acquired by a new company, Ghost Galaxy. Uh, and they, it sounds like they're doing like a Kickstarter for it to like kind of collect some of the revenue they need to relaunch. Uh, so, you know, I just, I hope that it's uh, successful. And I, you know, I just hope it's great. I'm a little, you know, I don't want to be like Debbie Downer on, on like anyone's excitement. I think this is like overall like fantastic news. But like what I would say is like, I think I'm more excited for not this first set mm. um, because the first set that they're coming out with was like already designed and developed by Fantasy Flight as I yeah. understand it. And I've just really since the first set of the game, first two sets, which were it seems like reading between the lines were the ones that were like that Richard Garfield, the designer of the game had his hands on the most. If I've just like, haven't been that impressed um, with a lot of the design and development choices. So I'm kind of like, it's like a risky proposition. Like I want them to relaunch. I want it to be awesome because we both know this system has, at least to me, like almost like more potential than any other game I can think of to just be like, great and i just think like it hasn't achieved the the heights that i know it could um and i want that badly i just don't know if it'll be like this first set but like if they but bring on their own developer developers like i think what would it be like set seven that comes out after this or is that set six we're in set seven five so this would be set six so the next next one would be set seven yeah yeah like so i i just like I, i what i don't want to happen is it like comes out with like a thud because it's yeah. like another sort of like dark tidings situation where people are kind of like, oh, but like this doesn't really like move the game forward in any meaningful way. And then we don't get to set seven, which has the potential to be like not so good. The best. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're just doing a whole new segment and it's I'll keep it episode now. Yeah, yeah. I'll keep it short. Maybe we should have put more time for this, but I too am really excited. It's on GameFound. I'm definitely going to support it. I'm nervous because I think games like this need either a strong online presence uh, to be successful, right? Like a supported client or a strong game store presence. Uh, And I don't know that Keyforge is going to have either of those, especially with this first set, which makes me nervous. I love playing online, but it's not a robust space. And I think game stores probably got burned picking up a lot of Keyforge during the pandemic. It's not moving. And it's sort of like, oh, now you want us to stock a new set, even though we have all this old product. Uh, I think it's a tough proposition, but I too... Richard Garfield designed or inspired sets of Keyforge are just phenomenal. I, I, and, you know, there's some good ideas that have trickled through, like 
enhancements and stuff that are yeah are, are neat so that was like that's we'll to me that was like the one thing that like moved things forward yeah. in an interesting way but, some of the cards we've seen juicy yeah so we'll they see. look cool we'll see yeah. yeah but anyway let's call it there uh that's enough on keyforge that's a and the follow-up on vacation games and also some interesting i hope thoughts on uh, ideas for uh you know recapturing some of the games we've covered before on this podcast thank you so much for joining us thank you as always brendan for being here with me co-hosting the show and it sounds like we'll catch y'all on the next one and thanks as always to Henry for our intro and outro song reach out bye, bye. bye.